Taken up in the book of Acts this morning. Uh, once again, this is kind of a continuation of the, the, uh, our study of the Gospel of John that we finished, finished up not very long ago. Uh, we're going to be looking in chapter 3 uh, this morning. In the book of Acts. And we're just going to read a few verses. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Arise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. If you know much of the Bible, you will, you'll know that very often miracles uh, had been used by God very often to validate his messengers and uh, their message. There's a long line of Bible history that, uh, that demonstrates that. If you think about, about Abraham, miracles were part of the life of Abraham. And one of the principal ones was the, the birth of Isaac to he and to Sarah when they were very old in age and no one expected that. You think about Moses and the plagues of Egypt and the miracles that took place in the wilderness, all demonstrating that in fact Moses was God's man. You think about Elijah on uh, Mount Carmel. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust licked up the, the water, testifying to the fact of those onlookers that Elijah was, in fact, God's spokesman, his man. Then we have the greatest of all, Jesus how many miraculous healings and feedings of five and five, four thousand and five thousand, and perhaps others? The casting out of demons, most recently the resurrection. Miracles are testifying to God's calling of each of those to be His spokesman. And now we have the apostles. The disciples, in the case before us this morning, yet another miracle that served many purposes. But one of those was to identify Peter and John as God's men. 
as those who spoke on his behalf. Just remember that this is the same Peter that just a short time earlier had denied Jesus three times. And we know that later he had been reconciled and restored to himself by Jesus himself. It's interesting now that he's become the most outspoken of all the 11 disciples. John's not the one that's talking here. None of the others are talking, but Peter's talking. Some things to note. Number one, the man here didn't even ask to be healed. Because we can imagine that he was in a place and he had been there for a very long time where he had absolutely no hope that he ever would be able to walk. Just remember that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is a physician himself. So it's not really, it's probably kind of a cool thing that he included this particular narrative in the book of Acts. Because he's looking at it from the eyes, through the eyes of a physician. Just as miracles validated Jesus as God's messenger, they will now serve the same purpose for the apostles. The Gospels attest to the fact that the, the miracles that Jesus performed had many purposes and one of those was to demonstrate that he was in fact who he said that he was the one whom he claimed to be shouldn't pass our notice that this particular incident this particular miraculous miracle i guess every miracle is miraculous probably not a very good terminology is it has a great similarity to one that's recorded in the fifth chapter of John's gospel that we, we studied just a year or two ago. The healing of a man by Jesus who had been an invalid for 38 years. And those who know of those kinds of things, they will look upon it and say, you know what, this is really is a validation that Peter is Christ. Man, he's doing the same things Jesus did. Miracles will be a part, a big part of the ministry of every one of the apostles. And they have many purposes, but certainly one of the purposes always is to validate the fact that they are God's spokesperson. Miracles are things that we know that don't happen normally. They, they lie outside the realm of normality. One of the things you ought to note here is this, that even though Jesus has come and he's really changed their understanding and their practice of religion very much for these guys, they still continue to do the same things that Jewish people do. They're going up to the temple to pray at the ninth hour, which is what the people did. This is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. For what was called the evening prayers. 
that all of the people took part in. And we need to understand something, and that is if Jesus was still there, he would be doing the same thing. This man's lameness was congenital. He had been lame his entire life. There had never been a time when he had been able to get up himself or to walk himself. He had never stood before. He had never walked or run or leaped in his entire life. He had to be carried physically everywhere that he had ever gone in his entire life. He's sitting at the gate that separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jews. The last gate before you entered into the temple proper. It was at the top of a lengthy set of stairs. So whoever carried him there did not only carry him across level ground, they also carried him up this lengthy set of stairs. And he sat there at the top where the gate was. If you know anything of Jewish thought in those days, you need to understand some fundamental things. And one of those is this, is the vast majority of these people believed that he was in the condition that he was because he was a very great sinner, a sinner greater certainly than they were. They weren't afflicted with such a thing as this, which means maybe they're sinners, but they're not quite the big bad sinner that this guy is, that God has really afflicted him because of this. But at the same time, he's been this way his entire life. Do you know how they dealt with that sort of thing? They believed that he might be suffering as a consequence of his parents' sin. Not even his own. He didn't go there hoping to be healed. It probably hadn't crossed his mind. Maybe earlier on in his life he'd thought about it. Maybe he'd heard something about this Jesus, but now this Jesus was gone and all hope of maybe ever having an encounter with him was gone. He went there that day with one intention and one hope, and that was to fill his belly with food. And he was completely and absolutely at the mercy of those passing by. Most of whom looked down upon him with disdain. Because they believed that he was only receiving what he deserved. And not only that. They believed that they were not there where he was in the condition he was in because they weren't sinners. The last thing this man expected when he left wherever he lived uh, that morning to be carried to his position, the last thing he expected would be able to return home that night walking. Walking. 
no longer being carried by someone, but actually be walking on his own two legs. He never expected that in a billion, million, zillion years. He asked Peter and John for money. Just remember, Peter and John had both been fishermen before Jesus came into the picture, and they'd given up that occupation to follow him, and they were dependent upon people who gave to their ministry, to do their ministry, to provide for them. This particular day, Peter didn't have any money. He didn't have one penny on him, nothing he could give to this guy, just a, just a demonstration of how dependent these men were upon God to provide for them all the things that they needed. They didn't have any money, but they had something far better, something that was of infinite value. They had Jesus to offer Someone of infinite value. And just as miracles validated the ministry of Jesus, so now they validate the ministry of the apostles. And just remember this, everyone that was in the court of the Jews had passed by this fella on their way there. Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong and leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him walking, leaping and praising God. Not praising Peter. Praising God. And all who saw it knew it, and they could not deny the fact that this man had been miraculously healed. Something that only God could do. Now, we have made a lot of advancements in modern medicine. There are a lot of people that are up to date walking around on their two feet that never would have been if it was not for modern medicine, for surgeries and medications and things like that. But you need to understand that in those days, things were very different. That if you were crippled and lame, you were crippled and lame your whole life. And even today, we know that there are certain types of afflictions that even modern medicine can't fix. This was a bona fide miracle, and everyone who witnessed it knew that only God could do such a thing. No one else. I remember the first time I met Chris Mwesiji in Uganda. Walter knows Chris. Dick and Barb know Chris. Lori knows Chris. 
we met him pretty early on in his walk with Christ. He had just been not too long before that associated with the World Harvest Missionaries and Fort Portal. And, and let me tell you, uh, the first time I saw Chris, Chris was cross-eyed. Period. And he also had a very difficult time walking, barely walking, because he had severe varicose veins. When I went back the second time, no more cross-eyed, no more trouble walking. Because he'd had surgery in Kenya. So we understand that modern medicine has accomplished a lot. That some things today that, that take place would not seem to be quite so miraculous to us. Because of that. But we need to be mindful of the fact that in those days that sort of thing did not happen. That lame people stayed lame. That blind people stayed blind. Unless God reached down from heaven and changed it. Have you in your whole lifetime, seriously in your whole lifetime, ever seen anything quite like this actually happen? Anything that could be or would be classified as truly miraculous, something that was a clearly a God thing, something that only God can conceivably possibly do. Some of you are smiling because you know where I'm going with this. I have never witnessed a blind man suddenly seeing or a deaf person suddenly hearing or a cripple suddenly jumping up and walking. Maybe you have. I haven't. Sometimes I think and sometimes I believe you think it would certainly be a whole lot easier to believe all of this Jesus stuff if I could just see one real bona fide miracle. We live in a different time and we don't see this sort of thing happening. Most people who would classify themselves as Christians have never seen anything quite like this happen. Well, let me just challenge you with this today. If you want to see a miracle, the only thing you have to do is look at yourself. We are a reformed church. We are a, therefore, rare church. 
The gospel that we teach and we preach is not exactly the same type of gospel that you might hear in lots of churches around the Citrus County area this morning. The vast majority of people believe, yes, that we are sinners. But at the same time, even though the Bible teaches us that we are dead in our trespasses, completely and absolutely, the vast majority of people out there in the world believe that there is an island of righteousness left even in the worst of sinners that enables them, puts them in a place where they are free of their own will without God doing anything or even entering into the picture of choosing Jesus at any time they choose to do that. That sort of thinking would make Martin Luther and John Calvin roll over in their graves. It is not the gospel they live for. It is not the gospel that they preach. It is not the gospel that they taught. And I would say to you this morning, it's not the gospel that Jesus or the apostles taught either. The Bible describes us, before we come to faith in Jesus, as being dead in our trespasses. Dead is a doornail. No interest in God. No desire for God. In other words, what I'm telling you, this is the Bible speaking. This isn't Keith. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible says, that if left in themselves, not one single soul ever would have come to faith in Jesus Christ. No one. Jesus would have come and done all that he did to no good for anybody. No sinner would ever choose to follow Jesus if God left them in their natural state. Not one. Dead people can't be anything but dead. They're incapable of being alive. And they certainly cannot breathe life into themselves. This is what Paul writes. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's how he is describing unconverted people. And then what does he say? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. He did it. By grace, you have been saved. Why am I bringing all this up? I'm bringing all this up. Is, is this for this reason, and that is because 
even though you maybe have never seen a, di- uh, 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 a cripple suddenly walking, or a blind man suddenly seeing, or a deaf person suddenly hearing. You, in fact, as a believer, are a product of a very mighty and powerful miracle of God. In other words, what I'm saying to you this morning is this, is you don't have to look out there for, for cripples that are being are lifted up and walking around. You don't have to look for other people that are suffering from physical afflictions that are you miraculously healed. Be God. But the only thing you have to look at is yourself. You are that miracle. And what grieves my heart is so many Christians and so many preachers like me steal that precious knowledge and gift from their people. In other words, you don't have to look beyond yourself to see God's miraculous power at work. What I'm telling you this morning is that you, in fact, are a far greater miracle than a cripple who was made to walk. You have a far greater reason to rejoice in God this morning than a cripple made to walk would have. Because you were dead and now you're alive. Sometimes people that are reformed go under attack by people who are not. I've been attacked at times by other pastors because I have the audacity to be reformed. And they classify you as being arrogant. It's arrogant for you to believe that God chose to save you and elected you to salvation, etc., etc., etc. God, my God, would not do something like that. My God is fair, and that's not fair. So my God would not, could not do something like that. Let me ask you something. Do you think that kind of thinking is more arrogant than, than what we believe to be true? Or less? Because what those people are saying is this, is on an even playing field. When confronted with Jesus, there are people who do not choose him, but I did. Without any help from him at all. Now let me ask you something. Who do you think is more arrogant in their assumption, that person or someone who understands that God did it? 
Don't you think that that's probably a seed of pride there that can blossom and grow and really affect a person? God saved us the way he did for a lot of reasons, and one of those is to keep us humble, not prideful and puffed up and think highly of ourselves. Let me tell you something. Far greater miracle for God to breathe spiritual life into someone who is spiritually dead than to make a crippled walk if you really believe you are that miracle. And you don't have to look any further than yourself to see it. That, my friends, is the only place that any person can ever have assurance of their salvation. Because if I, in essence, save myself, I also have to keep myself saved. I want you to understand this morning what Christ has done for you. He has saved you, period. You have not saved yourself in any way, shape, or form. I mean, seriously, what do you think is the greater miracle to cause a lame person to walk or to take a dead sinner and make them alive? Isn't that amazing? Have you ever thought about this stuff? There's a lot of comfort in knowing it. And I just want to encourage all of us this morning to always be mindful of that. That God saved me. I didn't save me. I am Special to him. He wanted me. He desired me. He would settle for nothing less than me. That, my friends, is perfect and absolute love. The love with which he loves you. Hallelujah. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a God we have in Jesus. What a loving, 
and kind and caring Father we have. Something worth rejoicing over, I would imagine. something that really should come forth as we sing to our God and Father this morning.